Mm-hmm. I didn't take myself so seriously. Mm-hmm. And also, because I didn't take myself so seriously, I felt like I could do anything, right? I could do anything in the world because I don't have to take myself so seriously. I can play. I can have fun. I can try. Not everything is, you know, so, so serious and life or death. And also, I probably could do it because I just did this thing that I never thought I would do. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? I'm Christine Job. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. I currently live in Barcelona, Spain, and my business is my consultancy, Christine Job, but also the podcast Flourish in the Foreign. So I want to talk about Aunt Karen. Okay. What experience did you have of Aunt Karen? Oh, wow. So my my Auntie Karen, goodness, she was, you know, she was like my first representation of a free Black woman, to be completely honest. Um, she is my mother's sister, older sister. And when I was young, like, I don't know, I might have been like three years old. She lived in San Diego and I was living with her for a time because my mother was in the Air Force and she was stationed abroad. And she would take me and my grandma, we would go to Tijuana and um, we have this picture that we took when I was three or four years old on what I thought was a zebra. And it was like my favorite picture for like all of my life. And then when I was like, no lie, like 20 years old, I like looked at that picture harder and I was like, that's not a zebra. I mean, that's a, that's a donkey. (laughs) And, and she, she was my representation of just like a free black woman traveling, living her life, um, just like the life of, not even like the party, just of of any situation. She was just, oh my goodness, um, everything. My biggest supporter. Also my like biggest like, get your life girl. <laughs> like you need to, you know, you need to get in line. She was, she was that. And um, yeah, she made it possible really for me to live this life that I'm living now. Um, She was fearless and she made friends no matter where she went. She was also in the, in the military, she was in the Navy. So she traveled and she just, she is that spirit, that spirit that still resides within me. So that is my auntie, my auntie Karen. Um, she passed several years ago, 
And actually, when I was living in Miami, it was the impetus for me to come back home to Atlanta. So her death actually changed the trajectory of my life, to be honest. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's my auntie. You had spoken a bit about her and said that she encouraged you to defiantly be yourself. And it seemed to have left, like you said, such a huge impression on you. Definitely. To show up in that way. Yes, because I think her life represented a woman who was both just unapologetically herself and nurturing and loving and caring and all these things Uh, you know like all these things that society says can't exist at the same time especially within women and especially within black women she was it yes she was gonna tell you about yourself from the most loving space you know light and love is not roses and bath bombs you know like light and love is also being being true and authentic and speaking truth right it's also about establishing boundaries for yourself and allowing those boundaries to be a way of loving someone too by showing them how you love yourself how they should also interact with you how they should love themselves so that makes sense like for me she she taught me that you know i don't need to be palatable and palatable isn't the the objective. Truth, love, sincerity, those things are way different than being palatable. And, um, and also, you know, trusting yourself, trusting your divine nudge. If it's saying you got to go, you got to go. It's not for anyone else to understand. So she, she is definitely, you know, a guiding light for me. I, I often speak with her and and she still tells me when I'm out of line. <laughs> she still tells me when I'm like, you know, that's some ego, Christine. That's not that's not truth of the situation. And she also still fortifies me when I am scared and when I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't. And she's like, no, nah, if that's not what you want to do, if that's not your truth, then we're not going to rock with this. So She's forever encouraging me. Did you need that specific message to defiantly be yourself? Like, how did you perceive yourself? Or did you already see yourself trying to fit into places that weren't shaped for you? Yeah, I think I needed that urge that or that, that guidance. I was definitely a people pleaser. For sure. I mean, and I, and I think probably other people pleasers, recovering people pleasers, I don't know something that you ever fully recover from because it's a weird kind of urge. Like you get into a certain situation and you know what people want to hear and you, you feel like I could placate someone, I could go the easier out or I, or I could just do what I want to do. And I, I grew up as a people pleaser for sure. I was the oldest child and the oldest grandchild and I just come from like two different cultures my dad is from Trinidad and so my grandparents and that whole side of the family are Trinidadian immigrants 
And there's a different, you know, that's a different culture and how to raise a child and how children should be. My grandparents are and were deeply religious. Um, and there were a lot of restrictions on what I could and could not do when I stayed with them. Um, and then I think as a black child growing up in the suburbs of Atlanta, you know, I was like the only black girl in my third grade class at some point, you know, learning. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's directly, but you start learning how to be a people pleaser. You learn how to like, let's just all get along and, and, and how to get by. I think it's probably a survival skill that a lot of black children in white spaces and black people in white spaces learn and it's always to the detriment (laughs) because it's something that you you learn how to fit in you learn how to manipulate a situation by being a people pleaser but you also suppress part of yourself you deny part of yourself you silence yourself in order to get to some other objective or something like that and for me I think I had started to learn by my early 20s, like it just wasn't, it wasn't fitting. It started to feel like, you know, a burlap like sack, like it was really uncomfortable. And it wasn't, I, it was something that I was definitely trying to figure out like why all of the things that I used to be able to do and people I used to be able to tolerate, I just couldn't anymore. Um, so by the time I graduated from law school and then my auntie passed that summer, I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not holding your opinion of me as, as standard or as something that I need to be aware of. Cause I think at that point, I really understood, like, everyone is really only concerned about themselves. (laughs) Like, we're only really concerned about ourselves, and I'm not going to twist myself into a pretzel so that you understand me when you are committed to not understanding me. Um, And so that was, it was a hard kind of lesson to learn, Um, but her passing, I think, was what was it. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to do me, and I don't care if you understand. So, so yeah. So what was your relationship like with your parents then? Wow. So my relationship with my parents were two different relationships. My parents met each other kind of wildly, right? Because my my dad is a Trinidadian immigrant. He grew up in New York. His parents at some point decided to move to this um, podunk, I think I can say, town outside of Houston called Baytown. My mother, raised in Pennsylvania and New York, also her mother decides to move to this podunk town in Baytown, Texas. Very strange. And they moved when they were both like, teenagers so they were like what is this they come from new york and they go to like this podunk texas town and they fell in love they were high school sweethearts and i think they bonded all over the fact that they were like this is not us 
we don't know what our parents are on and we just want to leave. And that's what they did. They both joined the military. But, you know, being young love, you know, they got married when they were 18. They had me when they were 19. Um, they, that, that relationship didn't last um, and got divorced when I was two years old. And so my relationship with my parents really diverged at that point. I was with my mother. And it was just me and her for the longest until my other siblings came along. And me and my father don't have a relationship in a way. You know, we, I would visit him when he lived in the States. Um, and that was cool. But it was always a very, in my opinion, strained relationship. Um, and then he moved to Germany, which was cool. It, 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 it afforded me a lot of different opportunities, but the relationship was just, I'm not even sure at that point if it was strained. It just was very, oh, I, what would be the word? <laughs> it was indifferent, I suppose. And I think that's how it has been for the majority of my adult life. You know, a couple of years ago, I was able to have a heart to heart with my dad and we talked it all out and stuff like that. And there's not any bad blood. Um, and I think it surprises me <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, you know, I don't have any bad blood. There's no bad blood, but we are, our relationship is polite, I think. Um, and my mother and I have a very different relationship. You know, it was just really us for the first eight years of my life as we, you know, moved around the States and then finally settled in Atlanta. And so my mother has always been my just biggest cheerleader. And, but also she has always just set the standard for me and, um, and always required me to rise to the occasion. So my relationship with my parents are, it is very different, but I think at this point in my life, it is what it is. It's, it's set <laughs> and it's, it's all good. I'm good with it. So have you ever been to Trinidad? Like, does your father have any family there still? Yeah, I went to Trinidad my last year of law school. My roommate at the time was or is um, Trinidadian and her mother lives still lives in Trinidad and so for our spring break we went to Trinidad and which was interesting because my my family has never taken me to Trinidad so I went by myself um and met up with my family in Trinidad and that was oh I get goosebumps thinking about it it was I guess it was like soul recognition right <laughs> like the land of your people so it was um it was amazing. It was amazing because I got to meet my my grandmother's sister, my my grandfather's brother, you know, all my cousins, you know. And when you're from like an, an island like Trinidad, everybody's related to everybody. Like everybody's your cousin. So they just came out the woodwork and showed me mad love, which was crazy because, you know, they hadn't seen my dad. I don't think my dad had gone back at that time. So he had left when he was 10. Right. So they, you know, you have phone calls, you have pictures. So they had never met me. You know, they may have, maybe, maybe my dad sent like a baby picture or something like that. Some like, you know, school photos. And there was just nothing but love, love in a really deep, 
way that I'm not sure if I've, not that I haven't experienced it before, but it was one of those like unconditional kinds of things. Like you are my people. I love you. I take care of you. I mean, I had uncles try to slip me some money and I was like, I don't need any money. You know, like it was, it was lovely. It was really, really lovely actually. So yeah, I haven't unfortunately been able to go back to Trinidad. I want to go back to play mass and carnival. Um, that would be really awesome for me. Have you, have you ever done a masquerade? Yes, and living in Miami. Yeah, I, I played mass. I think what like two times, maybe three, maybe two times. I played mass in Miami. And you know, thinking back, actually, living in Miami was a really pivotal time for me. I was in law school, but also living in Miami, having just a Caribbean culture just so abundant, um, allowed me to connect to a part of me that I really hadn't been able to. And um, and having just friends from obviously like all over the Caribbean and things like that, that was really impactful for me. It seems like a lot was going on after law school. It seems like you were already being very intentional about the spaces and the places you wanted to be. So you graduated, said hello and goodbye to your peoples in Georgia and in Florida, and then you took off to the Camino de Santiago, where you walked for at least 500 miles. (laughs) Um, I think you did it in less than 30 days, though. Um, I did it in about, I think I got to Santiago de Compostela in 30 days, but then I went to Finisterra, and it took three more days, so 33 days for the completion. But um, yeah, I mean, after I graduated from law school, I didn't immediately go to the community of Santiago. I graduated law school in 2013, and I joined a startup in Miami, which everyone was like, no, you should sit for the bar exam. And at that point, you know, in hindsight, I realized that I was suffering from burnout, severe, severe burnout. And I was just, I mean, people really couldn't tell me anything <laughs> at that point. You know, um, I mean, people are lucky I went to my graduation because I, I was kind of done with it. And if not for my mother being like, you're going to walk across that stage, I probably would not have done it. So after I graduated, I did a, I went to a startup. I went on trade mission to Namibia and South Africa. That kind of changed the game for me about what I wanted to do with my life. And then my aunt passed and that really turned, I mean, my life, my family, we were all like spinning. And so I thought it was best to come back home to Atlanta. And being home in Atlanta for, I guess, the hmm, maybe, I guess maybe 10 months until I went to the Camino Santiago was really jarring for me. Um, I'm dealing still with burnout, but I don't have language to describe what I'm feeling. Also, I don't feel like I can I can admit how I'm feeling because I've always been to a certain extent like a model child. Like I went, I do the things, I don't make a fuss, I do what I'm told, I do all this stuff. So to be like, oh, I have no motivation. I have 
you know, I'm having like chest pains that I don't know our anxiety attacks, like all these things. It was strange. Um, and so I'm trying to deal with that. I'm trying to make, figure out what I'm going to do next, which was do my own consultancy and throw myself into it. But I've had this experience in Namibia, South Africa, where I'm like, I want to live abroad, period. It, it had been a dream of mine since I was 17, but now that I had a real world like taste of it, I was like on it. And so I applied for a job uh, with a company that's based in Kuala Lumpur. I got through all the rounds of interviews and was like, yep, this is my ticket. I'm out. Like, you know, look at me. I'm the one. I can make it happen. And I actually went down to Miami. I had a farewell party. I got rid of my beautiful apartment in Atlanta in Inman Park. It was so cute. <laughs> and I, I went to stay with my mom in Marietta to wait for my visa and, you know, get everything ready to go. And then, and so I, I applied and I started the process in like April. And in July, the contract got pulled. They got reneged and they were like, yeah, it's not a good time. Sorry. And I was just, I mean, heated would not even be the word. I was just like, you don't understand. I gave up my apartment. I went to Miami. Like, y'all just can't do this to me. I was furious and so like angry with the universe so angry and I was I decided to walk uh, a mountain nearby Kennesaw Mountain and I was just like universe I'm gonna need you to say something I'm gonna need you to do something because this is some bull (laughs) like I just I just was really inconsolable and um while I was walking the the trail in Kennesaw Mountain, this thought of walking the Camino de Santiago came. And I was like, what? No. Like, I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to do this active meditation. Come, come with the real good stuff. And it stayed with me and dogged me in a way that still, to this day, nothing has ever kind of dropped in in a meditation and, like, haunted me like this. Um... I also haven't resisted much more things like that, but it just haunted me and dogged me. And um, I was like, no, no. I had heard about the Camino Santiago only once before, about like eight months before, from a friend who was like, oh, this year I'm going to try to make it to the Camino Santiago. She told me all about it, walking across Spain. I was like, all right, girl, that sounds good for you. That is not my... It's not my ministry, you know, like, no. Um, And so when this thing is dogging me and I'm like, what is this? It literally felt like it was like on my neck. Um, And I did the research and I was like, oh, hell no. Oh, what? I'm walking across Spain. I'm staying in these albergues, these hostels. No, 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 no. 
but it still dogged me. And then I came up with every excuse under the sun. I was like, I'm, I'm a single woman. I can't, oh no, you like, as if I'm like some dainty, like whatever. I'm like, I can't possibly do this. And of course, as soon as I think that, you know, I scroll down on the forum and there's like these 80 year old women who was like, this is my 15th Camino. And yeah, I've been doing it forever. And I'm just like, wow. I can't let these, you know, old ladies punk me like this. And I just quietly surrendered to it. I was like, universe, if you want me to do this, okay. Like, it really was like, okay. And then everything unleashed. All the doors open. All of the resources were provided immediately for me to go do this. And and so I acquiesced. I can't say like, I was like, I'm going to go on the Camino Santiago. It's going to change my life. And it was great. It wasn't like that for me. I cried every single day until I went to France, right? Like I cried every single day. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I would go into REI. I would think that they were going to discourage me and tell me not to do it. I'd be like, yep, can't do it. They were like, yeah, this is great. And let's help you get this backpack and stuff. It was it was insane. So I, I got the call or I got the email about the, the uh, contract falling through in early July. And I left to Bordeaux, Spain, or excuse me, Bordeaux, France, um, on August 10th and did not prepare, was scared out of my mind, did not understand what the universe was trying to show me anything and I did the Camino Santiago and it was um, crazy. It wasn't, it wasn't like the movie. And when I didn't even see the movie before I went, because this was 2014. I think the movie maybe it just came out. I had never seen it before. It was, it was messy and hard. Um, the first day is from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port to Roncesvalles, Spain. So you go up the French side of the Pyrenees and down the Spanish side of the Pyrenees. And it was hard and I was crying and it was just, I thought it was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I just was like, this is bogus. Why would I do this? Um, I really thought by the end of the first day that I was going to go home and be like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me, you guys. I said I was going to move to Kuala Lumpur. That didn't happen. I said I was going to do the Camino Santiago. I quit that. Like, I just thought, like, what is happening? And it, that first day, I was just like, nah. And I stumbled into this church, this cathedral. People are like, oh, they're giving, you know, Camino blessings. And I'm just the type of person that, if you're going to pray for me, I don't care what religion that is. Pray for me, please. Yes. And thank you. Like, that's it. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll get some of that. I'll get some of those blessings. Go ahead and give those to me. And, um, the, the priest asked me, he was like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, from the United States. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like the, the priests like take like an account of where everyone's from, like some kind of like church census. I don't know. Um, and the, so then the, the, the priest has everyone um, come and like say their like blessings and stuff like that. And this is a Catholic church and I'm not Catholic. I've never been to Catholic church. So I was just like, oh, okay, cool. And he has someone from France comes and does some kind of like benediction in French and so on and so on. And he's like, and Christine, our friend from the United States, come 
please and do the and I was like what I don't I'm not Catholic I didn't know what to do I was like I bowed in front of I was like I don't know what I don't know what this is and I read the benediction and the priest was like very amused he was just like oh you don't really go to church do you (laughs) and it was such a funny and awkward and a very very amusing moment that um was just what I needed. Like, I thought, wow, that was such a strange and funny situation. I wonder what tomorrow will bring. And honestly, that is how I developed, I guess, my sense of adventure and openness in all of my travels. Because after that day, I was just like, what weird, funny, or calamitous thing could happen tomorrow. Let's, let's go find out. And I took the Camino de Santiago just like that. I took it day by day, paso a paso and, you know, active meditation from active meditation, you know, all the crazy stuff that you've been pushing down, all bubbling up to the surface. You're crying up a mountain for no reason. But, you know, you, you're being reflected upon. You have these mirrors of people who are just showing you yourself from every turn. And it's, it's a strange and life-affirming experience. It was tough. But, you know, by the time I got to Finestera, you know, walking onto the beach, you know, the Atlantic coast of Spain, a lot of things had just been resolved. And also I had come to a point where I was okay with the other things that hadn't been resolved because I was, I was curious enough. I was, I had a different sense of amusement with life and with myself. I didn't take myself so seriously. And also because I didn't take myself so seriously, I felt like I could do anything Right. I could do anything in the world because I don't want to take myself so seriously. I can play. I can have fun. I can try. Not everything is, you know, so, so serious and life or death. And also, I probably could do it because I just did this thing that I never thought I would do. So for me, the Camino Santiago was life affirming and, uh, and, and really changed how I operate for sure. So pilgrimage is supposed to be like a journey. Um, looking it up, it says a journey often into unknown foreign place where a person goes in search of new or expanded meaning about their self, others, nature, or a higher good through the experience. It can lead to a personal transformation after which the pilgrim returns to their daily life. So that, that sounds about right then. <laughs> For sure. It sounds like uh, that's exactly what you experienced there. That year, you were one of 237,886 people to do the walk. Um, It increased like 2017. There were over 301,000 people that did that walk. Of course, numbers have changed because of things, but they're actually doing a virtual tour of it. I don't know if you know that now. I didn't know that. And you can like earn earn these little they gamified it. So you can like earn these little badges or certificates or whatever for taking this virtual tour. Cool. Cool, cool. 
But that just, it sounds very outward, but okay. So, so you're having these experiences all the way in your life up through college. And then it just looks like you never really committed to a specific job. It looks like you always had the intention straight out of college to do your own thing. I think the most time you spent working with the company after you left, uh, after you graduated was maybe like not even a year. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you really dove into seek infinity where you are, which is, I suppose, Christine Job, your name, um, helping people to become aligned and abundant. What has it been like forming that as a business development strategist and creative business analyst? So I knew that, especially out of law school, I knew that I wasn't probably going to work for anyone for any long period of time. I I don't know if I was sure that I was like, okay, I'm going to do entrepreneurship, but it just seemed like that just wasn't what I was going to do. Now I've had like contracts and things like that with law firms and other kind of entities, but I knew that that just wasn't what I wanted to do. I think my experience working at um, an incubator when I was in law school at the University of Miami really changed everything for me. Um, I joined that incubator my second year of law school. I became a legal fellow and I was forever changed. I started consulting with student entrepreneurs and also some of the alums that would come. And it was the first time in my life that I was like holding space for people. I was holding space for some of these kids, you know, being 19. This is the first time they have had like their own thought or their own thing outside of their parents. And they just want to see, is this feasible? Is this okay? And regardless of its viability, because <laughs> we have some, you know, different kinds of things, it was really special for me to hold space for people. It was really special for me to say, let us, let us allow you to fully express yourself. Not with saying, is this viable or is it a bad idea or whatever. Let's fully express yourself. Tell me, what is it? Tell me why. Tell me how you want to use these talents or these dreams to serve other people. How are you going to transform, transform people's lives? And like allow people to, to work through that and allow people to go through the process of, you know, this was placed in your heart. Perhaps it's supposed to come to fruition. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps you're just supposed to have this thought and allow yourself to feel these things. Perhaps you are, you are meant to meet up with other people and then create something else. Um, that, that changed me. And for a while, it was hard for me to fully commit to it because I was still very much programmed like you went to, you know, you have a business degree, you went to law school, you, your life should look like this and it doesn't. So how dare you kind of go on this kind of like, I don't know, hippy dippy kind of feeling. And I know a lot of people wouldn't think business strategy is hippy dippy, but you know, this philosophy of wanting people to be just fully actualized and do whatever I can help to do that. Um, 
that's that it was the impetus for it for seek infinity and doing the company on and off throughout the years but for me i just came to a realization that i i wanted to use my gifts for the elevation and affirmation of other people and their gifts i wanted to work with creatives and i wanted them to do creative work i didn't want them to give up on their creative work because they need to be practical because i'm like that's that's not true you can sustain yourself doing the work that you're meant to do of course you can um and let's figure out how you can do that and how you can do that with integrity i don't i i feel like if all the artists are told to be realistic that we don't have art you know like that doesn't work for me everyone has a has a place and has a service to to provide and i just felt like i wanted to be that person i felt like i could use like my my super analytical skills for good and um and that's what i've been wanting to do it you know it has had different kind of iterations from doing a music festival and doing my own consultancy to the now coming back into my own consultancy again it has always been the same thing the same thing for me has always been i want to elevate and affirm people i want people to know this is a safe space i want people to know that i will hold space for them for their dreams you know for their deepest desires and for the services they want to give to the world that is what i do so yeah you you mentioned so when you went to uh when you were in in is that undergrad <laughs> so you have a graduate yeah i guess it is so you have a music business certification mm-hmm. um do you do you sing oh gosh yeah yeah i i dabble I haven't sang in a long time, but yeah, I sang. I was in choir in college briefly and I did like, you know, you know how it is in college, everybody's a rapper. <laughs> so I I sang. But not everybody is a singer in college. Like that's not a, maybe the rapper thing, but that nobody's like, "Oh yeah, I'm moonlit as a singer in college." No, no, like nobody. No, I, I mean, I was I wasn't I wasn't out there gigging. It was just something that I could do. Um and you know could and can could and can i have i'm rusty i'm rusty y'all but i know i doubt it i doubt <laughs> it you be singing in the shower you sing while you making your little uh tapas and stuff i know what you do christine but, but <laughs> in your house but can i tell you though i i okay. find that you know that scene for me and why i'm actually trying to get back into it It really does that vibration does clear like your throat chakra. It does clear a lot of stuff and I find that when I'm not in practice that that area does get a little gets a little, you know, clogged up. So I definitely want to go back into it, but I'm not a professional singer. I don't have a MySpace or anything like that. I don't know <laughs> MySpace. People still use that. First of all, what are you talking about? <laughs> MySpace or what I don't ha- I don't I never I never had dreams of being a professional singer. I just was something I could do and stuff. Okay. So you just want to lift up other creatives, but you yourself don't want to pursue your creative talents. I got it. It's cool. <laughs> what is that about? What are you doing right now? You know, well, I mean, it's just Look at never... all this backtracking. You were very confident speaking about everything else. I bring up singing and she falls apart. 
Well, you know, but, and honestly, I think stepping into creativity has been a struggle for me, even with like producing this podcast. It's been weird because it's interesting how the labels we put on ourselves, we adopt, you know, from such a young age, you know, for some reason, I guess maybe it's the way I was raised, like, being creative was like, that's not serious. <laughs> like we're, we're about seriousness in this family, like be a lawyer and do all these things, you know? And so I think still it takes me a minute to warm that up and be like, Oh, I'm a creative. And of course I think spiritually, I understand that we are all creatives and we are always constantly creating, but I think by taking on that role of creation and creator is I still feel like a little uncomfortable with it of like, am I, am I a creative? Maybe it's because of the way you just described it. You said taking on the role of being a creative Mm -hmm. or creating when you acknowledge that that's just the nature of humanity. So you're just being who you are. It's more of you defiantly being yourself. That's not taking on a role. That's not giving yourself a title. That's just you doing your thing. Yeah, I think that for a while, I haven't allowed myself to step into it fully. And so I'm still stepping into it. I'm still like, yes, this is who I am. And it's just, I don't know, step by step, I'm getting more and more comfortable with it. And I think, oddly enough, by stepping like behind the mic in like a podcaster way, has helped because that has been fun and interesting and super outside of my wheelhouse. So it's allowed me to play and to, you know, be completely in a different element. So I'm still working on it. We were talking about music. You produced starting in 2015, the fall of 2015, an event called Seeker Fest, where it was about pursuing universal truth, which is no small (laughs) mission for a festival, but it was including religion and science, art, yoga, fellowship, philosophy, spirituality, and inspiration. And you were also co-organizing Pechakucha events, um, which is the Japanese word for chit-chat, where people have 20 slides and they have 20 seconds per slide to tell whatever story they want to tell. So these are the kind of creative things you were involving yourself in. You even produced Seekerfest in Spain, in Barcelona uh, in 2018. Yeah. So it looks like you were, again, it's like even I guess the podcast could be the same kind of thing. It's like you're building a platform to help other people share their creative things. You're giving people a stage in order to express themselves. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I think that has just been the most true thing for me. Um, you know, producing Seeker Fest, being, you know, completely outside my wheelhouse. I remember I was telling people, I was like, yeah, I'm going to create this music festival, this like this spirituality festival. And people really thought, they were like, oh, so you're just on drugs now. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm just, I had this thought. It actually came to me while I was in law school in like a like corporations class or something. 
and I was supposed to be taking notes. It came to me. I was like writing like all these notes, like frankly scribbling. My friends were like, what are you like? This class is not that interesting. I was like, I'm not writing about this class. (laughs) I don't care. And yeah, Secret Fest being a festival that celebrates the many paths to universal truth. So science, spirituality, philosophy, religion, however you get there. And for me, the impetus for that was just, I felt that through my own like studies of religion and philosophy, that a lot of people were talking past each other. And I felt that if we could all understand, or at least we could be in a space in which we could talk about our our own viewpoints and how we handle spirituality and universal truths, that we could have that recognition that we're all talking about the same thing. <laughs> and we may have different cultures and may have, may have different rituals to get ourselves in a space of receipt, you know, reception and to be able to receive that kind of divine entity, if that's what you believe you need to do and all those other things. But, but we're talking about the same thing. And then once we're, once we realize that we're talking about the same thing, we can really come together in community because I feel like, you know, I had friends who are devout Muslims who were living in Atlanta and, you know, they had a, an organization that was, a, was about eradicating po- uh, homelessness in Atlanta. But I also knew a girl from like the crystal shop who was identified as pagan, who also had that kind of thing. And I was like, how do y'all not know each other? Y'all talking about the same thing, you know, and getting people together like that in community so that we could uplift each other. And we could also just come to an understanding and mutual respect and also create a space for people who are, you know, exploring to find out from the real source. You know, I think the internet is great, but it's also different. It's a difference when you go to people whose lives have been changed and who are living this life, um, hopefully as authentically as possible. So I love that. Um, It was a little bit different producing that here in Barcelona. Um, So that was interesting. And, uh, and then, yeah, Pecha Kucha was cool. I, I just, I love community. I love fellowship. Truly, I love fellowship because I believe that um, so much can not only be accomplished, but also that there's power in in the relatability. There's power in community. There's power of being seen and heard. Um, there's power in listening and, and seeing and acknowledging. And so I've always been an advocate for, for those kinds of things. You talk about the opposite, which is isolation. You said that when it comes to entrepreneurship, there's there's that danger of being isolated because you're doing your own thing. And again, reinforcing that idea of how important community and mentors are. How have you been able to create that community wherever you go? I have... I have had this like strange non-fear of of uh, putting myself out there and and asking um, to talk with people. I did that before I even came to Spain. I had community. I had people who were in the entrepreneurship space before I even moved here. Um, and when I moved here, I had a bunch of people to go to lunch with. So. <laughs> um, 
I'm just, I, I don't know where that has come from because there's definitely aspects of my life in which I'm like a little bit more shy and more like, Oh, what do people say? But, um, when it comes to community and, and asking if people want to collaborate or if people can give me some of their time or can chat, I'm just like, you know, closed mouths really don't get fed. And if I need the support, I know that I, I know that I'm in the business of reciprocity. I know that I, I believe in community, so I am not just a taker. I'm always a giver, and I believe in that. And I believe that how, you know, I can also help to pour into other people. So I've never doubted that. So I never had, like, a fear of, like, oh, what are people going to think or whatever. I, I've just always put myself out there, whether it be, like, Facebook groups and just being like, hey, does someone know this? Or can you help me this? Or I'm going to be here. And I just continuously put myself out there like that. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but actually, even when it doesn't, it still does work because the people who are in resonance, you know, they come through and the people who aren't fall back. And that's a blessing still. So, yeah, I just I put out the call and, you know, the right ones show up. Talking again about about burnout so like you know doing the work but maybe going a little bit too hard maybe centering the work a little too much um you say it's important Mm -hmm. for people to invest in luxury what they consider a luxury or the nice to haves in order to keep burnout from touching their doorstep right you say go slow you'll get farther faster healthier and happier what has your what has your experience been with burnout? Oh my goodness. So what has been my experience with burnout? One, to be honest, burnout as a concept and the symptoms are very new to me. Like the language for it is actually super new to me. It wasn't until like maybe no lie, like last year, I was like, oh. Oh yeah, I experienced all of that. Like, oh really? Is that what burnout is? Oh, I've experienced that for years of my life. Interesting. Um, so for me, burnout first, as I identified in my life, has been the incessant need to always be not just working, but to produce and this feeling of guilt when not producing, um, this exhaustion and guilt for for exhaustion and fatigue, this um, depression, anxiety, um, being demotivated, feeling like that's a problem to be demotivated under such conditions, you know, under such under such, I guess, mental conditions of feeling like not giving yourself that break and not feeling like you deserve it or that rest needs to be earned and all these other things that I'm not sure where I picked it up. I don't know if it's just from living in America and where capitalism is the way and that's just how you do it or feeling like, you know, being, you know, sometimes the only black girl in white spaces, feeling like I need to prove myself and push, push, push harder than anybody else. I'm not sure where, 
where that came from. All I can know, all I know is that I can now with the language and some understanding identify that I've been experiencing this for many, many years. Um, and I think that centering luxury, I think that may throw people off, but I think luxury is one, whatever you call luxury. <laughs> um, but centering wellness shouldn't be a luxury, especially for Black women, Black American women, maybe even most especially, I don't know, of my own perspective. But I think that I have had to learn the hard way that if I do not center myself and my needs, if I do not identify what wellness looks like for me, people will gladly run you into the ground and say that you liked it. <laughs> people will gladly take from you, will make you feel guilty for, for speaking up for yourself or having boundaries, especially if you don't know what boundaries really are. You know, if you, if you don't have language to say, oh, you know what I mean? I'm not supposed to just be this ever flowing fountain of giving and making everybody else life or things happen. Um, I think, I think that is, is centering wellness and is, and I guess is a kind of a luxury for a lot of, of black women, you know, living in America in this kind of life, American lifestyle, to be able to center yourself um, and your needs and your priorities. And then also centering your desires. Like, what do you actually want? That was for me a, a hard thing to come to grips with. I realized like for the longest, I was like, I don't know if I even know what I want because I don't think anybody's ever really asked me for real, you know, besides like what you want for dinner. <laughs> I don't know if people really had asked me or, or if that had been really shown to me until, you know, I think the passing of my aunt, which started me going down that road of saying, I'm going to live for myself. It took me years to fully come into where I'm at now, but to start just exploring, what would that look like if... I can be fully myself and I can articulate that and I can still in, 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 in that same space, love and nurturing and all these other things can still exist. But I'm also going to acknowledge that I am a person. <laughs> I have needs, I have desires, I have wants, and those are important too. Share with us, please. What are your self-care practices? So for me, Exercise or movement is really important. I find myself being the most clear and breathing the most deeply when I am engaged in movement at least every day or every other day. Um, so that is important for me. I love to start my day doing it um, because I just feel like it sets the stage. And also for me, not only movement, but also a prayer practice and a visioning practice helps me to reiterate that my needs and also my desires are priority number one. So before I do anything else, help anybody, do any things, you know, answer an email, it's important for me to reaffirm that belief and those actions. 
so for me, it is definitely movement envisioning for sure. Um, cooking as well. I enjoy preparing my meals and making something good and enjoying that and savoring it. And also, I, in a weird way, I don't know if it's weird, but I really enjoy, and I think it's a part of my self-care, learning from other Black women. I really do. I, I, it's something about seeing other Black women, not just like, okay, they're doing the damn thing, but just being happy <laughs> and joyous. It, it warms my heart. It tells me that joy is possible no matter what you're going through in the day. And that whatever desires I may have are, are real and are valid. And so that's part of the self-care too, being surrounded by other Black women or seeing other Black women on, you know, in, on Instagram or Facebook who are living their best lives or handling whatever they're handling with grace and with love and with self-care paramount for me. That is, that is the positive reinforcement I need. So that's what self-care is for me. Are any of those practices particularly grounding for you? Yes. Movement. Movement is what I do when I need to really be grounded, specifically in nature. And I like going into spaces with trees. I've been a tree lover uh, and a hugger (laughs) since I was a little kid. And that helps. Uh, I live in Barcelona, so there's like, yeah, there's trees. They're not like the big trees I'm used to in Georgia. We have the sea here, which is interesting because I don't know if I was ever a water person, but I'm definitely becoming more of a water person and going to the water and being in the water and seeing what the water has to, to say and, and to give. That's been interesting for me. So I've always been definitely like more of like earth and mountains and trees and the water has been really nice. Um, but yeah, being outside movement, something about like being in nature, acknowledging nature, breathing deeply, moving and just feeling, I, I just feel like it's feeling really a part of the ecosystem, not a, not you know, disconnected from it really helps me to, to be grounded. Yeah. Talk to us about your dating life in Barcelona. Oh, I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but (laughs) we'll say this. Um, Dating in Barcelona has been interesting. I met my ex-partner here in Barcelona that has given me um, lessons and an interesting insights from life and uh yeah it's I haven't to be honest I haven't done a lot of dating at all and I'm not sure if I'm I don't know if I don't don't really have a lot to say about dating because I haven't done it a lot and I'm not really in that headspace at the moment okay (laughs) (laughs) have you had support as you've been 
figuring out your way? <sighs> Have I had support while I'm figuring out my way? I think yes and and no. I think there's been moments where I should have definitely asked for more support, but maybe I didn't know I needed it or I didn't really know that asking for support at certain times was okay. I think whenever I've asked for support, I've had it. Um, the support has looked like so many different things from, you know, uh, a great academic advisor in law school who, who tried to help me out. It was just like, girl, you need to go ahead and trust yourself and do what you need to do um, to uh, a really cool spiritual community in Atlanta called the Spiritual Living Center of Atlanta. That was really cool. They had a young professional group called Kinetic Ascent that was really helpful for my time in Atlanta. A bunch of just spiritually minded, really open, lovely young professionals trying to figure out life. That was dope. Um, and now finding community in Barcelona has been interesting and, and fun and hilarious. Finding a lot of different support here. Um, realizing that a lot of Eastern Europeans love me and I don't really know why, but I dig it. I dig it and it's cool. Um, so that's been cool part of the community and, um, and yeah, and now with this podcasting journey, it has been, I don't even know what I thought it was going to be because I definitely didn't expect all of this, but um, it has been really, really lovely. I really love Black women. I really love us creating. I really love us supporting. I really love us um prioritizing our happiness and articulating that. I really love us just in joyous frivolity, right? Like we, we don't always gotta be like, we're getting it done because we're black women. Sometimes like, why we always gotta get shit done? <laughs> like, why can't we just live our lives? And you know, um, so yeah, I think I've had support definitely recently and it's been amazing. What has helped you to face the challenges that you've experienced? Hmm. What has helped me face the challenges I've experienced? Goodness. I have to say that partly, partly part of my mentality that I was raised with, which was like, you gotta go through it. Just looking at it and, and being like, well, I'm just gonna go through it not necessarily grow through it but like just go at it um and then i think later on now it has been understanding that things are not happening to me right like taking accountability for my energy for the the seeds that i plant for the things that i allow in my life um for the intentions i've set <laughs> and maybe not fully understanding what those intentions meant or, or what I really want and, and being grateful for the contrast and uh, knowing that I can choose again and try and to, and to be more 
intentional with my words and my actions and also making sure that I'm more in alignment with my words and my actions. Um, I think that has helped me just self accountability, just being, just understanding that, (laughs) that, you know, everything has a season and a reason. And, uh, you know, this too will pass, maybe, usually. <laughs> Has being a Black woman affected your experience while traveling? Um, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. For sure. I mean, traveling is amazing. You get to experience all different types of culture. That being said, you also get to experience anti-Blackness in all different types of cultures. Um, which doesn't look the same like it is in the United States, right? It looks different. It's different kinds of things. Um, And also experiencing passport privilege, right? Watching somebody's face be like, huh? And then like, oh, wait, you're American, then trip all over themselves. That has been interesting. That that has been interesting. Even, you know, being on the continent and and experiencing... um, Experiencing that, being definitely being othered in a way that I wasn't expecting to be othered. Um, and, but I think that it has never discouraged me from, from traveling and to take up space. Never, never, ever. You know, I remember when I was walking the community of Santiago and I was passing some people, you know, for a couple of days, I'll see some of the same people. And apparently people were just dying to know where I was from because I, I wasn't really saying a lot. I was in meditation, you know, and people were just like, oh, no, she's French. Oh, no, she's from um, Senegal or no, no, no. She's no, she's from Equatorial Guinea, duh, this is Spain, you know, because Equatorial Guinea, Guinea was a colony of Spain. I was just like, that's it's interesting that no matter where you are. You know, if you are not in a space that white people expect you to be in, then they they must figure out why are you here? Uh, what what is the reason? And um, that doesn't change no matter where you go in the world. <laughs> it doesn't really like when I was in Namibia, South Africa. People were like, why are you here? And why are you with these like these white people on this chain mission? Why are you? In Thailand, everybody wants to know, where, why are you here? In Barcelona, I remember this Australian guy asking me, so what are you doing? Like, what's, what are you doing here? And I was like, I live here. I live in Barcelona. He was like, why? And I was like, why do you, why do you live in Barcelona? <laughs> so, I mean, being a Black woman, yeah. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect how I'm going to be because I'm still going to go. I'm still going to go see and do, but yeah, people always got something to say. (laughs) When you are traveling, Christine, how do you like to explore? I am a big nerd. So I like to learn about history um, before I go to a place. And I like to go to the historical places like that are meaningful for the for the country or the city that I'm going to. Um, but besides that, I like to just walk around and people watch. 
honestly. I like to see what are like the gestures or the kind of behavioral tics of a place. Um, like, I think that's always interesting. Or even like the vocal tics, you know, you know, Spain Spanish is different than Colombian Spanish and the things that people say, like their like word fillers or like the silence fillers that they use are always different. And I, I like to just people watch and, and see what are the people like and, and what's going on. Um, I do like to explore solo. But I, that, I think that's probably because most of my travel in my entire life has always been solo. So traveling with, with people, <laughs> um, I've just never, I've, I've done it recently, but I don't typically do it. And so I, I like to just do what I, I want to do. Um, and that's how I mostly, I mostly travel. Do you have any song lyrics or a poem that speaks to you these days? Um, I, you know, I saw this question and I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. And I was like, what, what song is it? And then, you know, a song came to mind and I was like, no, I need a serious song. But honestly, what first came to mind was um, Thinking of You by Sister Sledge, I think. Um, and I think it's because that song was played a lot during, um, I forget what the DJ's name is. He used to do the sets during quarantine. And I just love that song now. And it's been playing all the time on Spotify. And I think it's like the joyous frivolity that I need, especially in times like this, um, where things are just intense and i don't know if it's intense like like as if this is new or like this kind of racism or ridiculousness is new but i think it's like intense in the culture that we all live in in which we are inundated all the time and so when i listen to this song i feel like I'm at like a roller skating rink and I'm just having the best time. And I just feel like I want to go to that place. I want to go to a place and be happy and joyful for no reason in, in the sun. And so I guess that song is just the theme of my life right now. I feel like I have to be extraordinarily intentional about cultivating joy just because not joy attached to any kind of result or anything just because and to just bask in it so yeah that is it it's not very deep <laughs> it doesn't have to there are no qualifiers to it <laughs> you get to exp exist in this space judgment free christine i always like to ask guests how do you like to celebrate? Oh, goodness. How do I like to celebrate? I love to celebrate with fresh flowers and um, a bubbly of someone's choosing. It doesn't really, I don't really care. <laughs> um, and, and dinner, like a dinner party. I, lo I love that. I love coming together. 
Um, this is how to be for my celebration, but I feel like that is always nice coming together, enjoying and vibing, fresh flowers, just beauty. Like that is celebration and that is that's love. And um, yeah, that's how I like to celebrate this beauty and food and imbibing. <laughs> and I also want to ask you, how can listeners support your work? Yeah, listeners can definitely support my work by listening to my podcast, Flourish in the Foreign, which is all about elevating and affirming the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. They're incredible stories that everybody should hear. They should just hear them because there's a strange misconception that, you know, one, Black women don't travel. It's like, yes, we do. We've been, we've been traveling. Black women don't live abroad. Yes, we do. If we do live abroad, it's out of some kind of struggle and strife. No, we, we move abroad because we want to for adventure, for career, for love on a whim. You know, we, it's so important for us to see ourselves. And I, I, I love the podcast because it shows, it shows us in all just different capacities and in different stages of life. I think it's really important for us to see ourselves not only, you know, thriving abroad, but, you know, struggling. Because sometimes it's a struggle, you know, it's, it's adulting in a different language, a different country. But, you know, seeing ourselves choose ourselves and intentionally create a life that works for us or trying to uh, intentionally cultivate a life that works for us. I think it's so, so important. So that is how you can support the work. Come on and check out Flourish in the Foreign. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being open and sharing your story with us. Well, thank you so much for having me and asking me questions that I was like, I don't even know the answers to. <laughs> but it was very interesting. And um, I, I hope that the listeners enjoyed it because it was fun. Well, I will list your podcast and your website in the show notes so that people can connect with you. And we really appreciate you again. And we'll see you in these internet streets. For sure. For sure. Thank you so much, Wanda. Thank you, Christine. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.